Knock on your neighbor's door at midnight in your underwear with a rifle in Baltimore. Be a 52-year-old hitchhiking across the country, con the settlers with Irish gypsies who were impressed that you're a carpenter and want you to join the family. They try to get you to marry a plump 16-year-old, and she's into it. You escape in the night. Take acid trips on a railroad track and breathe the cold night air all night until your lungs become bubble wrap. Feel your dad punch you in the face because you brought because you bought a house and no one in this family owns private property. Study the Kabbalah like Einstein and find out how to speak the sentences that convey the information of the universe. Listen to this conversation with Ariel Grace Dragon and Jerry in the library. You're going to hear about seeing gorilla poets performing on flatbed trucks in New York City. Whiskey gangsters. Marxists. Revolutionary 68ers. Conversation starts in the Warshock ghettos. Jerry's ancestors have just thrown Molotov cocktails into Nazi tank. I'm sorry, this is this list is fucking crazy. This is a conversation that happened. When you say it out loud, these things always come off fantastical. But I'm just trying to brace you for where we're at and what's coming. That stuff's coming. What just happened was Jerry's, I think, his great great uncle or aunt threw Molotov cocktails into uh, Nazi tanks in the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising. It's a highway that was just running straight through their town. And I asked what that would feel like to make that shot, to be sitting on a building and throw your Molotov cocktail into the opening, like making the shot of it. And Ariel Grace says, it probably feels like hitting the home run that wins the World Series. Except... You've just saved your sister and your family. Next is going to hear about a love story that happened in the Warshock ghetto where you're smuggling babies out through a sewer and smuggling... I hear some stories. I got my uh, recorder rolling. Okay, well, basically, what I know about the story. I'm going to do it for I'm going to go for home. I got out of the way. Probably till he comes back. Yeah, you can reserve that in the silence. <laughs> I have that. I have this on my laptop as a document. But uh, Vladka wrote a book about it called On Both Sides of the Wall, published in the early 50s. The wall being the war around the Warsaw Ghetto. And she was smuggling the children out and the guns in by going through the sewers. And uh, the day they destroyed the ghetto with bombing and artillery, she was outside. And it happened to be Easter Sunday. And she decided, about the last place they can look for a Jew is in the Catholic Cathedral on Easter. So she goes in the Catholic Cathedral in the middle of the service. And when the service is over, she comes out, she's wondering where to hide. She's looking around, there's a big cemetery next to the cathedral. 
they know that they're looking for her or she just yeah, they're looking for they can everybody yeah and, uh, and she's been swimming babies out in the sewer and, and returning with guns, guns for weeks the, now the uprising like she's done this more than once oh yeah and she's 15. yeah <laughs> and uh at any rate uh at any rate she goes in a mausoleum in the cemetery and goes to sleep on top of a grave. Yeah. And in the morning, somebody is shaking her. She's a little old man. And he goes, are you all right, honey? Why are you, why are you sleeping with the dead? Mm -hmm. And she starts crying and she tells him, wife died and he's all by himself he's the caretaker of the cemetery so the job he can get and all of a sudden it's like he goes it's like god gave me a, a replacement daughter and he's taking very good care of her and i wonder if she sleeps on a different grave every night or she, know, she sleeps found, in this mausoleum found one that she likes and protected from the weather a mausoleum's like a tomb like a grub ground it's like a little building oh okay and uh, at any rate, there's bodies in there, though. Yeah, so yeah. they're in, they're in uh, coffins in um, coffins and closing stone. Uh, the coffin guy. And anyway, so one day, about a year later, he, the old man shows up and he goes, "I brought you a present, my dear. Depending on how you two get along, you're either gonna really love me or really hate." And he reaches behind the bush and pulls this big, tall, blonde-headed Jewish kid that's 16 out from behind the bush. And she goes, <laughs> I found him hiding here, too. <laughs> and he goes, Benjamin, this is Marka. Marka, this is Benjamin. You're going to be sharing a mausoleum. <laughs> A few weeks later, <laughs> did they hit it off? A few weeks later, they read the Song of Solomon, the Jewish marriage ceremony, out of her prayer book. Married each other without benefit of clergy, and used used two of his paper cigar bands for rings, the old man's, and he was the witness to their wedding. Paper cigar band rings. Yeah. Married a, in a Catholic. <laughs> Church, a Catholic cemetery, with a Jewish cemetery, with a Jewish ceremony. Oh. And, and she kind of already has several babies because she's 
got all these babies out. She swam so many babies out that since she's given Yeah, but she never, saw any, she never saw any of them again. And uh, at any rate, at the end of the war, they snuck out to Israel. But the war, more fighting going on with the Israeli War of Independence and everything else. They stayed for a while and they went from there to New York. And now, this is the thing. Moose put together a family reunion of Linda's family. And uh, they showed up. And they had no idea that there was a big branch of the family that had emigrated to Charleston, South Carolina. This is beautiful. And they saw the ad they, for the family reunion, and he goes, it's got to be the same family. It's got to be. They're from this one little tiny town that the family name's right, everything's right. I go, This so, is, they're from Warsaw? No, Kalashin, 30 miles east of Warsaw, on the main road that the Nazis went down and invaded the Soviet Union, so it was an area where the Holocaust was all of it's the main east-west road across both. And uh, it was right through downtown Warsaw, and then the first town after Warsaw going east is Kalashin. Anyway, so, we had no idea, we had no idea they, they existed. They're your family? They're my ex-wife family. Yeah, they, are, they, were, they were her cousins. Of her, and they came walking in with shopping bags, and he's got an he's an old man by now, right? He's got yeah. a baggy, dumpy suit from the fifties, and two shopping bags. His wife's got a bushkin, a raincoat, and an umbrella. They just flew in from Israel, and it was September in Charleston, South Carolina, and they never been. The only place they'd ever been in the states was New York, so they dressed for New York weather, and the, and they showed up in a hundred degree heat in South Carolina with coats on. And uh, they they started talking to everybody first in Yiddish. And Can you speak Yiddish? He words, a few phrases. It's a German dialect written in the Hebrew alphabet. But anyway, not too many people spoke Yiddish and they tried Hebrew. It's a German transliteration of the Hebrew alphabet. And they got the rabbi over and and but most Jews only know enough Hebrew to be able to pray. Conversation with Hebrew, you got to live in Israel. And, Isn't uh, the language, it, the language is, is just holy sounds. That was my impression, just that the alphabet was only sounds, like sounds that created the universe or created matter. Like the, the sounds that you're making with the letters vibrate to create the cosmos and the heaven. And then they just distilled it into an alphabet. That's, uh, what, what do you call that uh, in uh, Kabbal. Kabbal, Kabbalism? Kabbalism, yeah. There's, there's a numeric number to each letter, a numeric value to each letter, and, and a harmonic sound to each letter, and it's all universal. But that's usually something that is just, that knowledge is reserved for the most senior of rabbis only. But you wouldn't really need to know it if everybody's speaking in the same alphabet. If you speak in Yiddish, aren't, are you no, speaking? No, Yiddish and Hebrew are totally different languages. 
Oh, okay. Yeah, Yiddish is a Germanic language. It's. Oh, so it's if the translation. You take Shakespearean English, right, and phonetically spell it and write it from right to left in the Hebrew alphabet, you have the English equivalent of what Yiddish is. Now, here's an interesting thing. I was in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. Anyway, I'm getting far afield here. But I was in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. Let's go further. And uh, there is a, an Orthodox Jewish man from Philadelphia speaking Yiddish to an Amish farm wife who speaks archaic German. And the Amish woman who's speaking Pennsylvania Deutsch could understand the Jewish guy speaking Yiddish because they're both derivatives of ancient Germany. Right and they were actually having a conversation. And they were very, very amazed. And I saw a similar movie that had a similar theme. And, uh, Did you ever get into the Kabbalah? High I know priest, a little bit about high it. Priest it's, okay. it's something that it would take 30 years to learn. To just learn the sounds? You learn the sounds and the numerical value and then you can use it to do white magic. Right? I, it seems as if that would be pretty available now. You could probably pick this up, right? Like it's just, it's just a code and you can sing and you'd be able to run the figure out the numeric value, run it through your singing I ability. once had it explained to me this way. First of all, the young men are allowed to study Kabbalah until they're about 30 or 35. Then they cut you off? And, ma no, and, ma and married, preferably with a full family, wife and kids. That's when, you, that's when you're that's allowed when, to start. That's when they would start. Because the power that you would get if you were 24, you'd probably fuck off with it? No. Uh, what, basically, uh, it's, it's a mystical practice. And the concern is that when you get to Eden, you won't want to return. So they want to make sure that you're well grounded on Earth so that you will come back. Oh, you got to make sure you still feed the kids. So they, you, once got, you, start you need to have, have a balance. And, and, and be tied to a, a home and a family so that when you do this it's all, I would almost call it vision questing um, yeah. because it's got the same mystical value and feel to it it's, it's, it's a very cultural thing and they want to make sure you have a reason to come back before you end up vision questing and ending up in Eden or wh wherever you go when you're studying Kabbalah. Uh, women traditionally don't study a Kabbalah, um, although that's relaxed quite a bit if you're talking about uh, reformed reconstruction and some um, conservative uh, Jews. Would you get into it if, if the information was there? Yes. Right? There's not something you can do in a hurry to do no. all that. Now, I know a rabbi who lives in Jerusalem, and uh, he's a rather, rather strange and eccentric rabbi. I, how I met him is another funny story, but first let me finish with the story I was telling. So anyway, the whole family's there, and there's 
Don't be looking at a little couple come in there trying all these different languages. They tried Polish. And nobody spoke Polish. All of a sudden they Wait, the dumpy couple is the yeah. is the one that met in the graveyard. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, and they're trying to figure out what languages to match because yeah, and in it's like a family they only reunion a little now, bit of English. years later. Yeah, wow. And this okay. is the eighties. Yeah, yeah, forty yeah. years later, and yeah. all of a sudden, forty years later, and so much has changed. And somebody goes and gets my ex's grandpa. Okay, who was born in the same town they were. And, and he left in 1920. He's 96 jumps up by the table, grabs a water glass and a spoon and taps on it. Silence. Everybody shuts up because Grandpa. Grandpa could barely walk, just ran across the room. And everybody's looking at Grandpa. And he goes, there's been a miracle here. in the social hall of the synagogue. There's been a miracle here today. Yes. He goes, since 1941, I have been my entire family Today, here is a miracle. This is my niece Vladka and her husband Ben came all the way from Israel to meet us. It's us that we should be on the meeting them. Right? Yeah. They fought in the Warsaw Ghetto uprising. And Linda's 19-year-old cousin had just come back from Iraq having fought against the government saying in Desert Storm. And when Grandpa said he fought against the Nazis in the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising, this guy with all these ribbons just came back from combat in Iraq, walks up, snaps to attention and salutes them. And then kind of returned to saluting them. Also in Israel, 1948, he was in the Israeli army too. <laughs> and you look at these two ordinary looking elderly people and you're going, who did that? Yeah. It's badass. Yeah, and they keep it inside them too. As you get older, you still do all the things you did they're as a 15 year old. Both you still have all now. your love affairs, you still have all your your people that you've saved. You still have all the Molotov cocktails that you've thrown into tanks yeah. and jumped into the and tank amazing trying to steer is they, in the right they, direction. They waited you still they got, have most they, you're terrified of. They waited until they got to Israel and went and grabbed the first rabbi they could find. They said, we married ourselves because there was no rabbi around. Please marry us right here and now. So you know uh, an eccentric rabbi that might be able to teach us Kabbalah? No, well, I was going to say a little bit about this. He's kind of how I met him. That's another story. Well, um, tell, he, I, tell him how you met him. I'm hitchhiking on Route oh, yeah, 6 in Colorado. Oh, I know this story. 
Yeah, this story where you're hitchhiking around six, and then you get dropped off in the woods, and you hear yeah, somebody singing. Yeah, dark, and I hear somebody going. You, like, you guys end up oh, sharing. Oh, you want a cup of coffee? I'm going sharing on. peanut butter or something. You're sharing no, coffee. No, you want a cup of coffee. And I said, wait a minute, there's somebody with a New York accent in the middle of the woods in Colorado? Huh? So I'm hearing this, and I walk over, and I can't see anybody. I'm walking around, and says, you got a light, shine a light. I see a little flashlight beam, like from a pen light. And I go, it goes, I'm over here, I'm over here. So eventually I hook up with him. It's a big fat man with a white beard sitting in a campfire. In the woods and what was In the middle of the woods in Colorado on the Colorado. side of a mountain. <laughs> and I said, hi, I'm Jerry. He goes, I'm Moish. I said, with a name like that, yeah, I, I bet anything you're Jewish, he goes. I better be Jewish, I'm a rabbi. I'm going, okay, God, what are you up to? And I think I said it out loud. I said, something's going on if you, if you have me running to a rabbi in the middle of the woods, in the middle of Colorado, on the side of a mountain. What's up with this? And he fixes me a cup of coffee and offers me an Israeli camel. And we ended up sitting by the campfire all night. And drinking coffee and smoking cigarettes all night long and talking about everything under the sun. And he knows Kabbalah. And he said, it's a very dangerous, dangerous thing in the wrong hands. Anyone who isn't a pure heart and pure spirit who plays with stuff like that can do a great deal of harm. I was cautioned um, that somebody who went in without appropriate grounding, without a pure heart, yeah would be driven insane and would do great harm to themselves well, probably the, before they could do great harm elsewhere story, isn't that the story how the golem got created oh i'd have to look that up but i think the golem was created and it turned on its master the go um, golem that was in the lord of the rings comes from jewish folklore there is a greedy little critic that goes around yeah. Okay, but he's in Jewish folklore and he's a very evil, greedy little. He was overcome by lust and greed and all the seven deadly sins until he turned into this sleazy, slimy, slithery scumbag. Well, I was a creature, but. So, to determine if you have pure of heart and pure of soul, you go through the lists of the seven deadly sins and see if you have those. Yeah, you gotta be Seven a, deadly sins, I think, are found in the New Testament, which is a little outside of our purview. Yeah, but <laughs> I, I kind of bow it to everybody. How do you know if you're pure of heart? I guess if you have to ask, you don't really know. But, yeah, it's like... Yeah. I'm uh, super into this. I'm super into the idea of your, of your alphabet being connected to letters and then being able to look are being connected to numbers and you'll be able to see the numbers is, uh, in the world hook up those numbers to the to the like periodic table of elements be able to start to see what I, elements adjust to what numbers and then to be able to find that in a scale and to be able to sing that and then to be singing through the words that you're talking and all the while you're creating a ripple or vibration and yeah. Uh, like participating in the world in that way. There are some people that think that Einstein knew Kabbalah and that it's, it's a lot of the mathematics that define the universe to him came out of... Oh, yeah. 
Kabbalistic code. Keep it going. Tell me about this. Tell me about well, this. Well, it's a rumor. I don't know if it's true. And uh, that uh, Einstein uh, just had some knowledge. It gave him some insights into mathematical relationships between objects and planets and atoms and protons and neutrons and all of that stuff. I don't think he did. I've just been going through this book, and I think he would have shared it. This is Ideas and Opinions, Albert Einstein, and it's a collection of all of his magazine articles and essays that he's written. Uh, and he's so frank about everything that he's going through. Un he, unless it was so he, hidden and it was like, we can't actually let people know where this is coming from. But I love it, this book because it's his words. Yeah. And you get to hear, read him thinking. When they, when, when they started working on the first nuclear weapons, he was freaked. I bet. Because he knew what the potential was that nobody else did. And he wrote to Franklin Roosevelt going, don't do this. Don't do this. Hang on a minute. Answer. Hello. Happy. Hey, um, having a good birthday. Talked about where he got. Well, I tried started, started trying to call you where he came you last night. All that because. Um, it just took me a Aha! Uh -huh. It's a mystery. That is saved. For Jewish I, men, I got a picture of him being banned on my computer and somewhere from several years ago. He he didn't create it for he Israel. Uh, he done it done it for Israel. I'm sure he shared here, something we, like we're that. We're sitting here talking, but we, he we did, did it. Realize that and most of that work here was realized was, uh, and executed in America. And, uh, and I actually knew somebody who knew him and had. He didn't even slow down for the library. Oh my God! We got a stop sign out in front of the library, right? <sighs> and we have these idiots go charging through here, and right next door. That annoys me too. We need a great big circle round in the center of that intersection so that people have to stop and go around it to continue. Uh, that'd be dope to have a roundabout here. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, definitely need a roundabout. Yeah. Could save some kids lives. I'd like to get that cone off the roof too. I know, I thought about that too. I was like, I, I almost climbed up there, but I was like, I don't want to be the one that yeah. makes the roof collapse <laughs> right well if we don't get those leaves off of there they're going to kill they're enough leaves and enough moisture are going to amass up there that the roof collapses anyway okay next time i'll just come with a break then and just if i'm up there then i might as well be up there it's pretty well supported yeah not in here so much not well i mean across there supported there I'm gonna jump back into secret Einstein. But I, you know, I do think you might be onto something. It is entirely possible that he used a system of mathematics that he knew because it's well known that that he failed mathematics. You know, as as a youth. Yeah. And 
then to come up with all this just this groundbreaking theory of life, the universe, and everything is it begs the question how did he do it? And sometimes when you're working in a mystical sense, you can get past something like a math block or God, I just don't get this math shit because two and two equals four and I just, I, I don't connect with that. But the Kabbalah, this plus this equals that. I really, I connect with this. I get it. So I can completely see how that's a possibility. This plus this equals that in a framework outside, like a mystical framework. And it, it might where be, it's yeah. beyond what we normally see as this causation. It's yes. a causation that's wider than what you can normally feel. I get it in this sense, but I don't get it in a 2 plus 2 equals 4. Yeah. In, yeah. You know. Would you want to get into it? Me? Get into Kabbalah? I'd love being involved in Kabbalah. Um, Could you handle it? I don't know. Yeah. But I would hope that people would be able to see if I couldn't and get me out in time. Yeah, to pull you back from the, <laughs> pull you back from the white light. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you seem pure of heart. How pure do you have to be? I mean, I don't know if you could be totally pure I don't know, would you consider somebody pure of heart if they wanted to kill a rapist? And and it took everything they had, including getting as far away from him as they could, in order not to kill him? In order to be patient and let, let, let the world have him? I mean, I'm not the one to... I get you said, you seem pure of heart. I'm about to say I'm not the one to judge what's pure. I, yeah, I... Why does pure in heart have to get in the way of doing justice, of like being a, an, a being in the world? Well, then I guess you you're get, not supposed to judge things. And then you get into being careful not to stare too deeply into the abyss for too long, lest it take an interest in you and stare back. <laughs> and how do you kill a monster or pursue a monster without becoming a monster? I've been doing and that And if you become thing. a monster, are you still pure of heart? You stare into your abyss? No, if you become a monster, are you still pure at heart? I... I yes. <laughs> well, okay, yes. If you're a monster, because you, we're monsters. I, I can say yes because we are monsters. On this terrestrial earth, we do monstrous things. We do every day. Every day we interact and cause and in some form we do monstrous activities but we're still pure of heart or are we i guess we're not <laughs> i'm getting i'm getting looped up i'm getting looped up here i hate killing things but when you've got rats that are constantly getting in your larder yeah. or if you're living in a tent rats are constantly chewing into the tent i mean that's not a very safe or healthy condition and that's what i'm talking about something. right i had meatloaf the other day i'm a fucking monster too right <laughs> oh i don't eat horse meat yeah my buddies did ketamine the other day my buddies did ketamine the other day he was worried because it was uh five years old He's like, I don't know if it's expired or not, but the guy I got it from, um, he's got the real deal. It came straight out of the veterinarian's bottle. You know, like the horse tranquilizer bottle. He's 
so it was just the real the real K. But they kept doing it because they didn't think it would work. And by the time I was like, well, I got to roll. You guys come with me because I'm the DD. And they're getting in my minivan and playing the classical music. And it's just like totally overwhelming at that point. Like just, <laughs> and they're just feeling like the classical songs, which go on for like seven, 10 minutes. Anyway, we're just cruising through Santa Cruz and they want some, some food. And I think open the pizza joint and they're terrified to get out of the sliding door of the van, like holding on to the edges of it. You see people walk on ketamine, how they kind of slide. They put their hand on a banister and then slide their hand along and their whole center of gravity gets at like a 45 degree angle so their chin is behind their feet and they kind of like are looking around kind of terrified at the world as they slide through it well there's a very basic disconnect going on that's what ketamine does what are they that's what it's meant for that's what happened. One guy couldn't make one guy couldn't make it into the pizza place, and he was just out on the street, holding on to a tree with his hands behind him, and as he said, phasing in and out of existence, so that when we came I out, was he was wavering in disassociation to elusive. Yes, yes. I, I, I didn't. Uh, the Buddhists have a term for this. They have like different levels of consciousness within your body not levels but it's just like your heart is conscious your eyes are conscious your hearing is conscious and it's it's various conscious parts of you that are co-mingling to become your experience mm -hmm. i didn't know this since I, I think that the buddhist take on alzheimer's is also very interesting yeah um i, I would, would love to remember the books I read, but I had I got them right before my head injury 20 years ago, and, and I read them during the early parts of my head injury, and I was really impressed. I can't remember shit. <laughs> the Buddhists and Alzheimer's. Yeah. Um, Just where memory goes. Well, Alzheimer's. It's a disassociative kind of way. Alzheimer's is viewed as I can only paraphrase and only from my my perception and what little memory I have left of, of works I read but um, it's uh, it's the consciousness and the soul taking leave of the body and then coming back and leaving and coming back and leaving for longer periods of time and coming back for shorter periods of time until until it, the body dies and it's it was written for caregivers so that they could better manage I, I suppose their their own perceptions and and feelings and any insecurities or inadequacies they may have felt and help them to help the patient process what's happening yeah because you're trying so much to have it come through and be something there. I'm trying to help. It rang while it was on and um, the calls supersede everything going on. Oh, okay. Well, I think it's all for women. The call. I'll back to that. Okay. Well, I'm going to get that film recorded, aren't you? Right. I am now, yes. Yeah.
We were just talking about disassociatives, ketamine trips, cruising around listening to classical music, Alzheimer's, Buddhism, trying to have a recollection with being a caregiver. And we started thinking about spyware being built upon systems, built upon systems, and that's why stick with the Linux. Now we're jumping back into Kabbalah, pure of heart, Mongol invasion stopping at one line, and uh, the people that come from it. They estimate that 60 million people have a genetic marker of Genghis Khan himself. So, 60 million people in the world today count Genghis Khan as an ancestor. Hmm. You ever call on your ancestors? My ancestors have been scary. Right? I did that on Halloween. They said that the veil is thinner and I experimented with that on Westcliff, like out by the ocean. I grabbed like a some pieces of driftwood to get some ocean charge and then did some swirly movements and just opened myself up to my ancestors if they wanted to come. Well, I did um, way back before it got popular, like in 2005, I met a grad student up in Berkeley who was just, he was a geneticist and was working, just working on this modern cheek thing and getting the DNA and finding out what your, your ethnic makeup was from that. And it was all experimental, this is long before any of the online genealogy sites started using it. And this, I'm going to say this was in the summer of 2005. And I found it very interesting, so I submitted a sample. Now, since all four of my grandparents came from Ireland, my mother was born in Ireland, my father was conceived on the ship on the way over. But yes, ship sex? <laughs> no way, that's such a crowded ride. Yeah, it's where did they like, yet. <laughs> Where did that? I don't know where, but yeah, but at any rate, <laughs> I think steerage is the forward section. Oh, down is the very below. Bottom. Forward yeah. section below. And the, I do know that I do. You know probably were conceived that. underwater then, because the ship, like <laughs> yeah. that part, is below under, the water line. You're conceived below the water line. That's why I don't get scared of something. Um, at any rate, I was expecting to be a pure Celtic. Extraction. Extraction. And uh, when it came back, he's reading it to me. And it was all numbers and sequences, and it didn't make much sense to me. But he was had to explain it to me because. Yeah, you need a Kabbalah priest for that. This was a priest from Berkeley, 2005, <laughs> cutting edge geneticist. This was not uh, for, for regular consumption. This was more like. A, this is not for regular consumption. This is for genetic code. And he's explaining, he goes, I don't see much evidence here of you being Celtic. I said, you don't. He says, oh no, your markers are all Scandinavian. Huh? Scandinavian? I said, that's gotta be totally wrong. Something screwed up, your computer's broken, reinstall your operating system, do something, this is wrong. And he says, well, a lot of people in Ireland are Scandinavian descent. Uh, huh? And uh, so I called up my cousin who had previously done some uh, 
genealogy. He's dead now, he died of COVID. And, um, he says, oh yeah, not surprising. He says, I don't find that surprising at all. He says, we're from Cork, and the city of Cork was established in uh, the first millennium, about uh, 1100 AD by Vikings, mostly from Denmark. Vikings from Denmark and Ireland. Because, yeah, the younger sons went off raiding because only the older sons inherited anything. So the younger sons would get on warm ships and go raiding, and they got over to Ireland, and it was warmer there. They had good farmland, lots of mist and rain to grow crops. The girls were pretty, and they said, they're, saying, they're not going home. They're going to stay. <laughs> I just and, saw a, a statue of this, like the, uh, a, the hillside that had been carved into the chalk of it. It was just yeah. a huge man on a hillside that they were trying to get the date for, and they thought it was just a thousand years old, but they realized it's like 3,000, and he has like a big old club, and it's a, a very known hill engraving because he put his dong in there, and it's people go sit inside of it for fertility. Like, it's just massive. You mm -hmm. can go party inside of it. The, uh, Sub note. So, uh, there was a place in Italy similar to that, with a great big grotto under a merchant's castle. Yeah. Yeah, with these statues and carvings that last through time. What's really interesting is the... This just seems like some Viking shit to me. A thousand years earlier, the Romans invaded the British Isles. And they basically conquered England, never managed to conquer Scotland. And they Hadrian built the walls to separate England from Scotland because the barbarians are on this side and this side was the Roman Empire, right? And when they tried to, when the Romans tried to invade Ireland, the Irish threw them back into the sea. And uh, this is two rebellions that you've, not rebellions, but uh, people who fought back against their conquerors. Yeah, well, apparently the, uh, the Scots and the Irish, they dyed themselves blue and went into battle naked, swinging huge battle axes. That's what this this uh, engraving in the hillside is. The guy has a huge axe and he's naked. Yeah. yeah and he has eyebrows that look either confused or angry. Well, if I don't cut my eyebrows, they go up like horns. <laughs> cool. Yeah, I heard those guys were on mushrooms too. Butt ass naked, covered blue, and they're on psilocybin mushrooms. Well, they were taking something a little stronger than psilocybin, but yeah, basically. What, they're what the berserkers. Yeah, what's stronger? Uh, they, uh, they, there was some kind of a, uh, what was it, ergo? Ergot? No. Well, ergot has a lot of other problems. That That's a fungus that infects um, grains. I would suspect what they were using was um, was fly agaric, which is a form of honey. What are death angels? Or what species mushroom is death angel? You're the fungus one. Yeah, I, I can't. Um, I kissed a mushroom this morning on my walk. Uh, <laughs> when you're still here, if it was poisonous, you wouldn't be. <laughs> Muscarinic acid is probably what they were consuming, rather than. Um, psilocybin, 
or asylum, which are found in in magic mushrooms. Is it still a fungus? Yes. What is this? Yes, um, it's it's your, it's your typical red and white Christmas fungus, Christmas mushroom. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I picked one. I picked one with a cap about like that once, and it That's stood about huge. that tall. The book I'm reading wow. right, the book I'm reading right now, the captain is escaping in the bear suit, right? Captain's escaping in the bear captain suit. Captain of a ship is on land in France. Turned to the Napoleonic War, and the French are looking for him, and he's wearing a bear suit, and his the ship's doctor is the the bear tamer, and he's he's, he's masquerading as a dancing bear. The ship's doctor is a bear tamer, and now he's masquerading. The captain's masquerading as a dancing bear, and they're escaping over the Pyrenees from France into Spain, while Napoleon's whole army is looking for him. How long do you have to stay as a dancing bear to get away? Uh, how long it takes you to get to the other side of the mountains? Uh, a week or so. And. Uh, <laughs> Makes me think of people sighting Bigfoot, whereas the bear is just walking on its hind legs. Yeah. And uh, at any rate, the captain sees this little girl picking mushrooms, and she sees this mushroom. He sees this mushroom with a blue when you break it, it turns blue, right? And that's always a bad sign. Break a mushroom and it turns blue. It's not good. If you break a mushroom and it turns blue, it's usually a soul side of mushroom. It's a magic mushroom. Well, at any rate, this little girl... It's all how you read the signs. This little five-year-old girl... We're teaching ourselves, mushroom, Kabbalah. And, and, and the, the, the captain doesn't want this little girl to poison herself, right? And the captain goes running out, Don't eat that! Don't eat that! Oh, and he's all bared out. And Yeah, and the little girl goes, Ah! Drops the mushroom and runs like hell, and she's going, Papa, Papa, this bear yelled at me. It talked to me. Nah. He's going, Oh my God, we've got to get her to a doctor. She's been picking mushrooms. She says she's been had bears talking to her and yelling at her. I was on acid one time tried to communicate with a bear telepathically oh my god that's a scary thought <laughs> that's something i uh i haven't done in a hell of a while you know it's probably been about 50 years since i did, did, did that particular way the last time i ever did that i hope you're not recording next no we're rolling the last time we're rolling the last this is time the real I, deal Last time I ever did that, I came back from Europe in November of 74, and New Year's Eve 75, I was in Cumberland, Maryland, with uh, my fiance, she seemed to be my first wife. She's the one with the cousin who's... No, 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 that's wife number two. Huh? This is the one with the rheumatoid arthritis. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, I'll show you a picture. Uh, this one. Very old picker from about that time. Where were you coming back from? Who's it? Oh no, I think I lost my picture of Phyllis. 1974, coming back from somewhere. There's no way you could have lost it, baby. You haven't had your wallet out. I know, but it's not here. We've been it was in here. 
there. You'll find it. Ah, you're right. Yeah. That's, You'll find it. You'll yeah, find I was it. actually young once. That's, that's me and her back then. Dude, look at this. Wow, you look, look at you, dude. I was so going 1970s beatnik. What the hell? Look at this sideways comb. I had wow. just... She looks like the lady from, uh, maybe it's just because it's on the cover of Cannery Row here, and Cannery Row's from Monterey, and that's where Star Trek Four was filmed when they go back in time to try to save the whales. Oh, yeah. But she looks like the actress who's the marine biologist in that movie with her throat. Fro and that's right hysterical because she's a biologist. Is she? Yeah. Wow. Cannery Row's magic, man. Cannery uh, Row's uh, magic. She, uh... Yeah, we did, we did her genealogy, and now... Well, I want to hear the story of you coming back from someplace on New Year's. Oh, well, we weren't coming back. We were in, we had come, I was in Cumberland, Maryland, which is a railroad town in the Allegheny Mountains. Now, part of Maryland is real narrow. It's on like 10 miles, Pennsylvania, West Virginia. And you go across the Potomac River there in West Virginia, and you go due north of Pennsylvania, and Maryland's only 10 miles wide there. It's the extreme western end of the state. And it's where the Norfolk and Western and the Baltimore and Ohio Railroads came together. It's in the coal mine. And uh, somebody got this brilliant idea. We had a jug of wine. Didn't tell anybody. And put a whole bunch, on New Year's Eve, put a whole bunch of acid in this jug of rosé wine. Yeah, at a junction of railroads in and, a belt of coal and on a we New were Year's out, Eve. We were out walking. <laughs> She's got rheumatoid arthritis. We were out walking on the railroad tracks. And you're on the railroad tracks. And it's I'm wearing a t-shirt and a pair of jeans. And she's in her nightgown and her robe and her bedroom slippers. And it's 10 below zero out. You know you're tripping at this point, or is it just good wine? Tons of alcohol to tons of acid. Probably too much of each. Yeah. Now, it's the last time I ever did anything like that. That was about the third time in the last time. And, uh... Third time's a charm. Oh, it wasn't. We, we both got pneumonia. Oh, you walked in. You walked into the cold, like. Yeah, we didn't even know it was ten below zero. We couldn't feel it. Oh, yeah. You were walking through space. You're walking yeah. through like literally oh, we the stars. Both, we were both. You. We were both hallucinating. Her face turned paisley. It was like. And then the following, the following week, we were both going to the doctor because we were. They had to, she had to have her chest tapped where they had to drain fluid out of her chest surgically. Wow. Well, I sure know when you do that, it just gets so cold that your body doesn't heat. I don't know how phenomena works. Yeah, you know, basically what happens is your, your lungs get frosted. The air is so cold that the surface tissues of your lungs freeze. Yeah, that's how that happens. How do you know that it's happening? Can you tell you it's don't happening? don't until afterwards when you can't breathe. Well, uh, actually that's not entirely accurate. Um, 
I know that for me, I rode home to South San Jose from Santa Cruz on my motorcycle without a jacket and just my helmet because my ex got upset that I didn't want to spend the night and I was leaving early than earlier than she had planned and um, wouldn't let me have my jacket and I had to ride home to San Jose without my jacket. And for weeks and weeks and weeks, uh, oh, it was more than three months, when I, when I inhaled in or out, I could hear the sound of bu little bubbles breaking, like if you were, if you were breaking bubble plastic, that's yeah. just what that's it sounds how I am, like. That's how I am in the morning, I wake up with the epithema. Yeah. Um, I mean, it took a long time to pass. It probably would have passed quicker if I'd gone to the doctor. I probably had a form of pneumonia. It's your lungs are popping? Yeah. Like air pockets in yeah. your lungs? I'd be, I'd be lying there at night before I fell asleep. And, you know, inhale, exhale, and you And it'd be popping like a, like, like a little air bubbles going pop, 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 pop. Like bubble plastic going pop, 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 pop. So it, it's it's not quite it. You don't know you got it. I mean, I knew there well, was something wrong. I didn't know right, when I was getting it. Is the point? I knew I had it, but I didn't know when I was getting it. I was getting it. I didn't know anything that night. And I didn't know that I could catch it. That I would catch a chill that could allow that to happen when I did it. What is this book? What are you looking up here? I was just trying to find a place in Italy with um and then with the uh, sister underground. And, um, oh, like underground temples or chambers? It's, it's an underground. They they have um, caverns underground in this um, in a family's. I mean, an old merchant family's um, under their castle. And I was just looking for the name here because I. I was looking through this book earlier and I saw it and recognized it for what it was. Jerry, how long did you hang with those, uh, the Irish, the Irish caravan? Oh, the traveler? Till they tried to marry him up uh, for uh, uh, four days. I was out of there. They, uh, See, the thing with the travelers, they're all married, right? Yeah. And they... No certificate, no driver's license, no no paperwork at any point. Complete Linux. Yeah, well, more so even so than Linux. A lot of them don't even know how to read and write. Why would they want to read and write? Because that's their point. At any rate, they tried to get me, they found out that I had an ancestor who was a traveler on my father's side. One of the guys that you would be afraid of if you had a seance to recall? Uh, well, my father side the family they didn't have a bunch of drugs. But they, uh, they, they decided they wanted me to stay with them and uh, they were going to play matchmakers with me. Now, at the time I was, let's see, that was 2007, which meant I was 58 years old. 
hitchhiking around with a caravan of tinkers, con artists, them. and thieves. I met them. I met them. They gave me. They gave me a ride in the BF motorhome. Okay. Anyway, they decided they were going to marry me off to a 16-year-old girl who weighed 250 pounds and was so nearsighted, her glasses were so thick that, and they made her eyeballs look like pins, pinheads. She was the, she was the one girl in the camp nobody wanted to marry. And they decided they were going to have an arranged marriage between her and me. Was she stoked? Actually, we just glad somebody was going to marry her. Yeah. Because normally they got married at 13 or 14. She was 16. She was an old man. And she wasn't even upset over the fact that I was 58. And I'm going, mm, I'm, just to, I'm just in the process of getting divorced. I don't want to get married again. I don't even know her. <laughs> in the process of a divorce. Why don't you crush me? <laughs> the oldest statue ever found is of a woman this size, a voluptuous woman about this weight. That's yeah, well that's a, that's a dhani, that's a, it's a, it's a European fertility goddess. Oh. And uh, the crown of the cave bear and the valley of the horses, these books right here that talk about that. Oh. That uh. See, so, did you marry the Adani? No! I fled. In the middle of it, like, I played like a thief in the night. Yeah? It was a handicapped on me. So why did the uh, the Mongols get stopped? See, the Mongols they, just... Yeah, what stopped you? Breslau? They ran into something that was better than they were. Yo. The Teutonic Knights. The Teutonic Knights. How do you spell that? T-E-U-T-O-N-I-C. T-E-U-T-O-N-I-C. Unless you want to spell knights in the original German spelling, which is K-N-E-C-T. K-N-E-C-T. That's the German spelling. Knights. 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 And uh, the uh, Teutonic Knights were a band of knights recruited obviously Teutonic in Germany, all over Germany, and they were also priests, Catholic priests. And they had been recruited as an order. They were like the Knights Templar. And their thing was to go over and fight the Crusades and kill lots of Muslims and take all of them back. And uh, they uh, returned home to find the Mongols on their doorsteps. They returned home to find, uh, to find Germany <laughs> being encroached upon by the Mongol hordes. Wow. And the the Poles, they, they just kicked the shit out of the Hungarians, just kicked the shit out of the Poles, just kicked the shit out of uh, the Bohemians, which are now the Czechs. And uh, they are now entering into Germany. And uh, all of a sudden they found they had uh, a few thousand very, very, very pissed off German knights on their hands. And if you wonder where the Iron Cross comes from, the German Army Awards, the Walkies Cross in black, it's the highest award in the German Army, or the, the Black Cross on the German airplanes in both world wars. That was the symbol of the Teutonic Knights, where everybody else had like a white tunic with a red cross on it. 
the Germans were dressed, painted their armor jet black and painted them a black Maltese cross with white border on it. What does Maltese mean? Uh, from Malta. It's like a, it's a geographic Maltese location. cross goes like this. Yeah. And, uh... Virtually every country in the world has their own version of it. Of a cross. Of the Maltese cross, yeah. Um, because it is a symbol that just sort of comes to everybody, or because these knights made it the, around the world? Another one on the south side. Uh, it all started with the and uh, all started with the Knights of Malta. Another one of those. Oh yeah, now we're getting into it. The Knights of Malta. Yeah, the Knights of Malta, which is an island in the Mediterranean. You had the uh, the Knights Hospitality. You had the. Uh, the uh, Knights Templar, the Teutonic Knights, those are the ones that come in. There were more orders of knights in that, but they were priests. And that's and they had the one the thing world. the Mongols didn't have. Armor? Armor. <laughs> yeah. And Genghis, <laughs> yeah. And his boy, Genghis and his boys, they shoot lots of arrows at him, and the arrows would bounce off. That would be frustrating. And then... Uh, and also they I don't feel too bad for they were these they big, hit you the eyes. They were big six armor from horseback. They were wow. these big six foot three blonde and red-headed German guys that were like six foot three and weighed two hundred and twenty pounds up against these wiry little Asian guys who were like five foot five. Riding bareback. Like shooting, shooting arrows, and these guys, these guys had these long lances and huge, huge battle axes and maces and morning stars and all kinds of horrible crush your skull weapons or impale you. God, the warrior! I mean, that'd be terrifying. But the warrior in them both yeah. must have fucking loved it to finally both come up with a force that they couldn't just annihilate. Because. <laughs> Both groups probably just ran through where they, they had a thing to. called they had a thing called the Warhammer, right? And when they be, when they knock one of the Mongols off his horse and get him down on the ground, the German knight would jump off his horse and grab a dagger in one hand and a hammer in the other and stick the dagger on top of the guy's head and hit it with the hammer and drive it so the point came out the bottom of his chin to finish him off. Yeah, you see, for me, that just takes too much time. I just rather hit the guy in the head with a hammer. Bam! How do you get your knife out of his head, too? Oh, you chop the head in half with the axe. Pull it out. You gotta have an axe, a hammer, and a knife. These guys carry 700 pounds worth of gear, and by the time he had the armor that was on the horse, which is a Clydesdale, because it was the only horse that carried a weight, by the time he added all that weight, you're talking that poor horse is carrying 3,000 pounds on his back. The armored horse with the knight on it was a tank. That was the tank of the Middle Ages. Where are these people now? Huh? Where are these people now? Dead. Well, they're dead, but their ancestors are still around. The ancestors are uh, the descendants. Descendants of the Teutonic Knights of the Germans. The same guys that gave us two World Wars. Well, they didn't bring World War II to us all by their lonesomes. 
I am very bad. As uh, the, the misfortune of Poland, the misfortune of Poland was, here's Poland. On this side they got Russia, on this side they got Germany. The Germans take the Russians, the Russians take the Polans. The, the, the Russians take the Germans, and they always would have a war between Russia and Germany. The problem was Poland was in between the two. So where would they have their war? They had their war in Poland. Poland would get trashed. For, what was it? From the end of the Napoleonic Wars until 1918, Poland did not exist as a country. It got divided up. Half of it went to Germany, the other half went to Russia. The German Kaiser got half of it and the Russian Tsar got the other half. Now, in 1939, Hitler invades Poland, and the Russians invade the other half of Poland, they go back to the, the Russians having half of Poland, the Germans having the other half of Poland. Then in 1941, the Russians go to, the Germans go to war against Russia, and they take all of Poland. It's, uh, if it wasn't for the misfortune, of being in between Germany and Russia, Poland might have been a really powerful nation. But unfortunately, every 50 years or so, it got trashed. I get, when I was wandering around, I mean, there were these enormous cemeteries in Poland where there's like 10,000 people buried there. They got killed in one battle. Hey, what time did the light just came on? 10 to 5. And it's dust. That's perfect. I got that set just right. Yeah, we went out and got the parts. We exactly. fixed it. Oh, you set the timer? To yeah, you looked at the timer and figured out what was wrong with it, and I went out and got the it parts. It was missing one of its little things that turns it on. We did the spare set in the desk, too. Ah, cool. So we got lost Well, again. we kept coming across this girl sleeping on the porch. Who, who would post up on the porch at about 4.35 o'clock on the days that it wasn't open that late. And that was that was well before the time change. And that wasn't bothering us too much until so she started putting up cigarette butts on the boards on the porch. Oh. Which we were afraid she was going to set the place on fire. Yeah. Well, what bothered me was that she was sleeping on the porch and I didn't want to see it become an encampment. Uh, so we uh, we told Marion, she said, well, we got to fix the we got to fix the light. And I said, well, what's wrong with the light? She said, I don't know. The timer doesn't come on. And we're all looking at it. I see one little thing on the wheel that's supposed to turn it off, and the thing that turns the little piece that turns it on is totally missing. I'm going, can't work like that. And then Kelly actually then So how'd you find the actual little piece? pictures of the. Uh, of the um, timer. timer with my phone and I said, hey, we have this kind of a timer and you see these parts right here, we don't have the uh, the matching ones so that it turns things on, but we have the ones that turn things off. Have you got any parts like that? <laughs> and it turns out they had a whole kit. And it wasn't that expensive. Wow. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And you got it set right for 450. We came in and we reset the uh, timer at one. Yeah, time changed.
But the problem is every time we have a power outage, we have to run up here and fix it again because obviously the timer runs off electricity, and if the power goes off, well, it's that number of hours late, the number of hours that the power was off. So. In fact, when I found the leak in the bathroom, we thought the power might have gone off because we thought we heard, might be hearing generators. And I'm going, well, it's either generators or it's an 18-wheeler that's idling up the market. And so I went to check. And the uh, manager or owner or whatever, whoever Christy happens to be, says, no, I don't think the power's been out. And she came up here to check. And I said, okay, thanks. And she was a long time gone. I'm coming up and she said, we got a crisis. What? And she turned the water off, but then it's like, it has filled up the garbage can, it has splashed out of the walls. It was spraying the entire bathroom with water and it was draining out through the floor. Jeez. That's why it smells like rotten redwood in the bathroom because all the wood is sopping wet and it's only now starting to dry. And you guys fixed that too. Well, we shut the water off. Yeah, so at any rate... I referred it to Marion. Marion called... The county guy the county. got underneath and checked the damage, made sure it wasn't in the wiring or anything. And then the uh, Marion got hold of the white guy that worked for the county, who's the head maintenance guy here. Yeah. And he came out immediately, and he had to fix it. Like, I was going to fix it. Not he told to. He had to fix it like 15 minutes. Yeah, he told he he spoke to Marion, came, found out he didn't have the right parts, went up there, got the right parts, came back, put him in, and was gone before Marion could get down here. He had rebuilt the place 15 years ago. And the guy, yeah, the guy goes, I rebuilt that bathroom 15 years ago. I knew they'd be calling me about this, he says. <laughs> I knew I'd be back here. He's a, he's a great guy when the water, he's the guy that when the water main broke out here under the sidewalk and we had the big flood out front here. Yeah. He's the guy that dug all that up and fixed it. And when the... Oh when yeah, the, this guy. I like this guy. Yeah, and he's when chill. the... Uh, when the, the, the toilet in the ladies' room broke down here, you, Kelly went in to use the restroom and she almost got a shower. Oh, God. Because the flusher on the back of the toilet was down there was spraying all over the place. Yeah, it was. Were you the one that turned me on to this? Revolutionary letters? No, I wasn't. Who is that? I guess it, uh, it's uh, Dan De Prima. She's a, a poet from the 1960s. She would uh, make these, she'd write these one today revolutionary poets, like poems, and then perform them like in a guerrilla theater fashion, cruising around New York City on the back of a flatbed truck with a PA. I remember that. Or on the I steps of, of San Francisco, like a town hall. You remember them doing that? Guerrilla poets? Guerrilla poets? Mm -hmm. I've never heard, I, 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 I'm familiar with the concept, it's just it's it, it's not much different than the beat poets except the beat poets let you come to them yeah she's just up on the city hall steps like blaring it out i am uh i am what they call a 68er okay and i don't know if you know anything about that no hit me the radical left in the 60s was in 1968 we're going to have world-class struggle and a world Marxist revolution which is going to overthrow all the existing capitalist governments and there were student movements in every country. In Mexico City, there was massive riots. In Paris, there was massive riots. In New York, there was massive riots. 
there was the Chicago, the, the Democratic National Convention riots in Chicago, and it was supposed to be all a part of the World Revolution. The World Revolution to overthrow capitalism? Yes. We were all Marxists. Yeah? Yes. Even after everything that went wrong with... Nothing went wrong. We went too right. With, with just Russia? Private and, property is public theft. The what? Private property is public theft. Well, that's there a is radical one piece thought. Of real estate. Private property is public theft. Leon Trotsky. <laughs> that's a crazy state. Do you still believe that? Absolutely. Wow. I believe you can't pick it up and carry it. You do not have the right to own it. And if anybody owns more than they need, they should be hanging from a fucking noose. Yeah, I heard that she did a spot about uh, the Indians in here. And she said their idea of private property is what you can carry on your horse. Yes. And that's it. Well, that's why the Indians seized Alcatraz. I was in the middle of all of that. You were in the middle of the seizing Alcatraz? I was call up Nicolas Cage, baby. Where's Sean Connery? This is his story. Right? No, this is not for broadcast. I catch but that. I was, I was in this. No, but when you're in Dyson, the, the 68ers are, are a whole class of people. They're all my age, right? Yeah. And they were all into class struggle and revolution. It was supposed to occur in 1968. And all the history is locked when you come on the side of the Atlantic. In Europe, when you say you're a 68 or everybody knows exactly what that means. I just don't understand what it is. It was supposed to be the world revolution that started. To Marxism from the capitalism. 1917 Russian Revolution was supposed to complete at a global level in the summer of 1968. Wow, why the summer of 68? Where did that because come from? Because that's when all the leftist revolutionaries from all over the world said the date and when we're going to do it. Oh, they were just organized, right? Yeah, this, is this it. was the plan. This was the plan. How long were they working on it for? What? When do you think they started? 1918. 1918? Yeah, 50 really? years. They, put it, they, they organized for 50 years. Who started this? Stalin? Uh, no, it was way before Stalin. 1918? Uh, yes, it was the... Uh, it was the plans were put together at the Third International. The Third International. There were three internationals. I international what? All the, the communist parties of all the countries in the world came together and planned world revolution. Wow. I wonder if they're... Dude, so sorry. There was never a fourth international because the Second World War got in the way. I don't believe in communism now even more thoroughly because after reading a very great description of the Tao, it was, uh, it was a description of the Tao and it basically was that clouds will do what they do. There's atmospheric pressure, there's in and out, there's like if you push then you're going to pull. It's that there's a kind of balance to nature and it happens through movement. It's constant change that is making well, a balance. I believe in I believe in a world socialist revolution because there is X amount of finite resources. We must control the population so the X amount of finite resources are equally distributed so everyone gets what they need, nobody gets more than they need. 
But see, this is what you're doing is controlling. Everything and, must be controlled. But the Tao, there is no control. It is just the give and take balance. And it made That's me why look, we're atheists. We it made me look that. at capitalism and I thought, what? That is the closest capitalism to any natural no, system that there is, could be. Because criminal it's, activities, gangsterism. But it's natural. No, it is not. Yeah, you're so high against humanity. <laughs> the old revolutionaries coming back out. <laughs> oh no, never went away. Yeah. Never went away. I mean, I probably fired 100,000 rounds. You know I'm going to have to live with this tonight. Thanks. Uh, for, with the hype, it's, we could calm back down. Well, I'm getting old now, but you know, it's like I was in... Uh, I was um, in Northern Ireland, <laughs> Angola. Roll it, roll it. We keep our be, secrets. Be careful, lest you have to actually explain to somebody. Like you said one time, very few of my enemies still breathe. Oh, very few of my enemies still read? breathe? Breathe. I don't have any enemies breathing. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I go through the expedient of not making them to begin with, and when I do, um, I usually deal with it quickly. Promptly. Promptly. It would be a good way to put it. Um, 20 years ago, um, yeah, well, when people vanish, it tends to put the rest of the group that may have attacked you or uh, otherwise harmed you on notice that they're next. Yeah. I, I kind of had my, my doubts about where I came from. And I could try and figure out how the hell like, I could be who I was at one time. Yes. Fourteen. yes. We were, how do you answer that? We were in New York City one time. My father was driving. My father hated driving. He didn't start driving when he was 50. And uh, some guy cut him off and called him a hick because he had red iron plates on his car, some Arab cab driver. Got out the car, pulled out a 38, grabbed the guy by the throat, pulled him out of the, out of the car, pissed him with him in front of 300 people. In the middle of Times Square, shot out all four tires of the cab, got back in his car and drove away. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, Dad, don't you think he overreacted a little bit? You're in the car? Yeah, and my mother too. Dogs growling and barking, and my, 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 I, and, I, and he goes, I said, Dad, don't you think you overreacted a little bit? Meanwhile, I'm sitting there, got my switchblade out, and he's like, don't you think you reacted a little, overreacted a little bit? And he goes, nah, he's still alive. Nah, he'll live. <laughs> That's living by principle. That's like a, you had a, that's a very principled thing to do. Like there's a direct line that you don't cross. I was realizing that I don't have principles and I was trying to come up with what I should be living by as a well, principle. I, 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 like, I, I, what is the correct moral, I, I, like just by, do or don't do? You don't do. live by your own principles, you live by somebody else's. I don't, uh, the, thing, the point I was trying to make. I don't know whose I'm living by then. Probably. The point I was trying to make was, why did you read witnesses? <laughs> I mean, that was what I was thinking at the time. Uh, but then, but the thing was, because you're left, in Times Square, you can't take out Times Square. And but the thing was, he left everybody so totally shocked that nobody got time to react to anything. Well, the nice thing about a gun 
is nobody focuses on your face because they all want to see where the gun's pointing. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, the, the where he makes it strange, my father was five foot two and weighed ninety pounds. Yeah. But he grew up. What principles did your father have? Let me get some principles from your heritage. Uh, all, all of his. Because I would let somebody yell at me all the time. Oh, I let no, people all insult his, me all, all the time. All his principles came directly from Marxist literature. It okay. was all about class warfare. That was it. That's as far as my father went. And he had, as a teenager, been a gangster. He was a bag man for the Dutchman. Bag man for the Dutchman. Yeah. And. He, he always carried a gun all his life, he never went out without one. And he's a very quiet, reserved kind of guy, drank like a fish, smoked like a chimney, minded his own business, but don't cross him. Because he still had that very, very strong 1920s prohibition gangster type mindset. So you mind your own business, but if somebody crosses you, you kill them instantly. It's absolute action. Yeah. And you take your action, and if your action fails, then you're dead. Some of my father's quotes from my father is, "I will never bloody assimilate to America. It's a goddamn gangster society. I'll never assimilate to it. Their democracy ends at my front door. They come through it. They're going to be looking in the barrel of my guns." Them democracy? Their democracy run, ends at my front door. Their democracy ends at my front door. And they come through it, um, they're going to be... And I can remember when I was a kid. I had this kid who was bigger than me. He used to bully me common times. Tell you story. <coughs> a dozen times. And Tommy Hines beat the crap out of me. And my father was off work sick that day and he's looking out the window and watching the whole thing. I came up and bloody and I said to my father, my father, his father goes, got into a fight, huh? I said, yeah. He says, you lost too, huh? I said, yeah, he's bigger than me. And he says, we don't lose. He That's goes, the principle. We goes, don't lose. Go to the closet, get some, get some implements of destruction, go down and beat the crap out of him, try a baseball bat or a shovel. Just, don't, just make sure the shovel doesn't have linseed oil on it if you're trying to get out of a fire. Yeah, the electricity, right? Electricity. So I, I go down with a shovel and just walk up ah. behind the kid and smack him in the side. Oh, that's fucked up. That's so rude. <laughs> and I grab the shovel, walk back up in the house. A little while later, the kid and his father's pounding on the door. The kid's standing there bleeding, and his father's standing in. His father's a cop. And... My father goes, your kid hit my kid with a shovel. And my father, go, my father goes, yeah, now get the hell out of my doorway or I'll hit you with something worse. And my father, my father pulls a, a pump shotgun on him, a whipping gun. Is this, a, this is in New York? Yeah. And he goes, don't you know I'm a cop? He goes, yeah, you'll be walking the beat and fresh kills in, in a landfill too. If you don't get the hell out of here or if I don't blow your head off first. And, and yeah, the my mother, wait, 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 my father yells to my mother, call Clarence. And what he didn't know, my uncle Clarence was Sergeant Clarence Dunnigan, NYPD, Lieutenant then, Lieutenant Clarence Dunnigan, NYPD. He was a burglary detective in Manhattan and very high up 
in the hierarchy and you're a total crook. Total fucking crook on the take. Right? My old Irish cop. And he goes, got a cop here named Pete Hines who's giving my kid, his kid's giving my kid a hard time and he's giving me a hard time. Put him in, put him on the phone. And all of a sudden, I'm standing there and I'm standing there talking to my phone. Uh, yes sir, uh, yes sir, uh, yes sir, uh, right away sir. And him, he just grabs the kid by the ear, pulls him out the door. We gotta get out of here. Right? And Uncle uh, he goes, he goes, fresh kills, which is the garbage dump in New York. He's got, he says, he's going to be guarding the garbage. Well, now Uncle Clarence retired. How did you choose the shovel when you're in the oh, closet? This is the first thing I saw. Okay. But uh, Uncle, Clarence, uh, Uncle Clarence retired and moved to Florida. Built a mansion, got a 40-foot yacht, and sat there and drank whiskey all day long and smoked cigars. <laughs> you know, Pretty good move. With a 44 Magnum laying on the table next to him, right? Yeah, but you didn't tell him what he named the house. The house the Dutchman built. Now, do you know who the Dutchman was? No. Okay, now you got to tell him who the Dutchman was. Dutch Schultz. Not familiar. Arthur Pogelheimer was his real name. Yeah. And he was a German Jew who came over from Germany in the 1920s to get away from the Nazis. And he was pretty young. He was pretty young. He was in the middle of prohibition, selling it at a pre prohibition rate. And he got extremely rich, extremely fast. Until Al Capone, still he started cutting into Al Capone and his Sicilian mob's business, and they rubbed him out. But my father, at 16, looked 12, he was a bad man. He used to go from speaking to speaking, picking up bags of $100 bills and delivering them back to the Dutchman, and the Dutchman paid him $200 a week in 1925, but I haven't heard of a man of money for an adult with a little 16-year-old kid. And then my father had all this money and everything else, couldn't figure out what to do with it, and one day, they up and disappeared. He was going to Cooper Union studying engineering, and he up and disappeared and went over to Moscow and helped design the Moscow subway. Well, before he was 30. Wow. Designed the Moscow subway. Well, he did the wiring. I mean, he didn't design the subway itself. He designed the wiring diagrams of the subway. They hired engineers from all over the world to go over there and help them. It's the most beautiful subway in the world, the Benign. I've never... The Moscow subway is the most beautiful gorgeous. subway. It's got crystal chandeliers in the stations. It's got 30-foot arch ceilings all covered with ceramic tile. Yeah. I mean, that's as close as you get to the real revolution of 68 is what the people have. And so you make the subway, the public transportation, the most beautiful. Well, the that was done prior to World War II. Yeah. And A lot of was I heard Kennedy got the Kennedy family got their money through bootlegging. Oh yeah, I think a lot of these like original powerhouses was the bootleg money. Oh yeah, well the Kennedys brought uh, Irish whiskey into the United States, but the ships wouldn't come inside the three mile limit. They used to use speedboats uh, with packing V8 engines to run the, the fucking whiskey in 
from raiders off the three-mile limit because the U.S. couldn't touch them if they were outside the three-mile limit. Nice. That's a fun job. And uh, Christ, motor boating, Irish whiskey. Allie, people used to people used to ice skate across the Great Lakes in the dead of winter with a case of whiskey on their backs. <laughs> there was more drinking done during Prohibition than before they passed. That's the Dow right there. Once you make a blockage, it'll create more energy around it. Like if you start holding something, then you're gonna actually make more force. Like nature will just continue to flow in that way. That's capitalism. Not really, because it's, it'll back up behind the bottleneck until it breaks the bottleneck. Yeah, so I'm trying to say, like, there's these these forces, and you try to control it, then it's going to find a way but around. But that's about it's every. Water. That's what governments water do. Water flows. Governments control. That's the purpose of governments to change human behavior. Don't look at me. That's what they do. To stop things like greed and personal wealth and people who keep Did you ever more. see this lady do yeah. her poetry? Yeah. You saw her do it on the flatbed truck. I, I saw her in coffee houses too. I remember her face. No fucking way. Ah, was she I charming? Mean, was she charismatic? The poems are hardcore. She was angry. Right? Because oh, it's if hard I had to, to predict how everybody was. It's hard to read that. the emotion into if, it. Like, if I had to predict what people were like back then. The whole peace, love, brown rice hippie thing was the creation of the media. Brown rice hippie exist. thing? People were <laughs> mad. There were black radicals. Kill, kill the honkies. Kill whitey. Yeah. There was Malcolm X. There were the Panthers. Uh, there were those of us in SDS and Weather Underground overthrow capitalism. People were angry. They were furious over the draft and Vietnam War and the racism and the dogs tearing the civil rights workers apart and selling Alabama and turning the fire hoses on them. Because that's what you got when you turn on the news. White racist America killing black people. Or white racist America. Why don't you getting today? Hey, there's, there's a lot of similarities. White racist America, America so bombing the shit out of Vietnamese houses. people. They just went straight to guns. Bombing the shit out of Vietnamese people, you know, and the rest of the world hated America. America was America became the replacement for Nazi Germany. Oh wow! That's how everybody regarded the United States during that period. Internally, that's what internally, people were externally. How much do you think it uh, it really did, like Operation Paperclip, and just going and taking the Nazi scientists and bringing them to run NASA and like their oh, highway they, systems? And uh, don't, don't recall that. I went with a woman. It's on recording. I'm recording. Just don't tell me things you don't record because it's in my mind I anyway. It's recorded. I went for a woman for six and a half years. It was the daughter of one of those Nazi scientists. Ah, uh, here we go. This is good. And. Uh, She's crazy as a shithouse rat. She's as crazy as a shithouse rat. She's brilliant, but totally nuts. Why is she nuts? Just she conflicted. went through a childhood with all the bombing in Nazi Germany as an infant. She was six years older than me. She's dead now. She made a very dumb move. Her dog jumped into the Willamette River in March up in Oregon. She jumped in to save the dog and died of hypothermia. Uh, I swim in the Willamette during summertime in Portland a lot. Yeah, well, you can imagine what it was like in Eugene in, uh, in March. That's cold. Very. 
I, worked, I was I was doing logging in Northern California in March, and yeah. it was cold. Your father, your father was a doctor, Doctor Siegfried von Garofalo of NASA. He was a penal member of Brown Brown. What does that mean? A penal of Brown? Penal was it was an island off the northern coast of Germany in the Baltic. Uh, and it was where the V1s and V2s were developed, the Nazi terror weapons. And Von Braun developed them to, 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 to guided missiles to bomb England. How much do you think that America is Nazi Germany? Like, how much did it integrate? Or is there principles within America's founding that kind of takes that and sifts it and makes it into something noble and free and filled no. with liberty and, and justice? It's a pile of bullshit. Because liberty and justice for all. I mean, come on, that's the that's, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's the principle. For the black people, for the Native Americans, the, 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 we, killed, we killed almost as many Native Americans as the, as the Nazis killed Jews. Uh, we enslaved almost as many black people as... as any other country as the Roman Empire enslaved people. Uh, the, uh, the country was populated originally with, uh, with convicts deported to Georgia. Uh, uh, indentured servants deported, uh, sent everywhere. Uh, religions that Europe didn't want, everybody was exiled here. Maryland was the colony for Catholics. Pennsylvania was for Quakers. Rhode Island was for Baptists. Massachusetts was for Puritans. Uh, Delaware and New York were founded by the Dutch, but only stolen by the English. Florida was founded by the Spanish and stolen by the English. Georgia was a penal colony. South Carolina was founded on slavery and cotton. North Carolina and Virginia were founded on slavery and tobacco. A restaurant film. Let's get you a microphone, put you on a flatbed truck, and start doing some poetry. I'll get shot in a week. Yeah, I've, I spent too many of my too many years of my life dodging bullets. So there's the problem is, as I've been saying for several decades. God, I feel so old as I say that. Is that they have been spoon feeding us fascism as if it were pablum, and calling it democracy. Look at Trump. Trump's not inter interested in democracy. Christian rights not interested in democracy. They're all fascist. I've seen that a lot now with the liberal left. Like, every time I'm like, like oh yeah, you guys are totally... The left, I would be the center in Europe. Yeah. What you call Bernie Sanders would be slightly right of center in any European democracy. That's very mainstream in the rest of the world. Now I know why you don't teach the Kabbalah to everybody <laughs> because most of our principles are greed and lust. <laughs> Maybe I actually got somewhere. I've been around for a long, long time and I've seen an awful lot of shit. I think if there's a God that there may be a difference in what you think is selfless and altruistic and what the Lord thinks is selfless and altruistic. <laughs> what, it, what, it, what you think is pure and what God thinks is pure. How do you find out the difference? What's that equation? Oh, I think you probably find out after you're done living. Yeah, I don't. 
Oh, maybe only after you come back as a cockroach. Think about that one for a while. Because that was the question, was whether or not you're pure hard enough to start studying, to start studying the Kabbalah. And we tried to ask that, and I just kind of stumbled over because I was realizing, well, I actually don't know. So we can't run that for me, equation. For me, like, like I said earlier, it comes to, um, I believe it's a Nietzsche, you know, be, be cautious States. looking into the abyss, lest the abyss look back. The United um, States became exactly... Why do you have to be cautious about the abyss looking back at you? Anyway, we were going to how, how, how would you say Nietzsche was defining the abyss? The end of the kind of consciousness as we know it, another kind of consciousness we move into following death. Whoa, the end of the consciousness as we know it, and the beginning of another kind of consciousness. You can, we cannot possibly know while we're in this one, and we can't know this one while we're in that one. Yeah, yeah. I've been trying so to go there. you want to look back at us out of fear, or what? No, I don't think it's out of fear. It's more out of contempt. <laughs> For real, though, really? I think so. Yeah. You think you're better than me? You think you're better than me? Hell yeah. Gosh, you never know till you walk a mile in someone else's shoes. <laughs> Uh, that's a thought, walking a, walk a mile in the shoes of the abyss. I, try it though, you turn your focus in to the blackness of your self, and not like an emotional blackness, but just as dark as you can go within. Just keep on going and going into it, and eventually you get to a place where things start to emerge out. And I think then you could probably keep going further past those visions. Arthur Conan Doyle and, and Harry Houdini tried very desperately to come from the other side and come back and contact them. Well, they, they spent, said they would before they died. They spent their whole life planning on how to do it. Arthur never, Doyle and Houdini spent their whole life planning. Planning on how to contact people on this side after they died. And they both yeah. failed miserably. Yeah. To the best of our knowledge, we have no idea if the timeline even runs together where that side can commune with this side in the time period that they but like. But then again, I can, I can tell you things, I, I think I may have told both of you this before, that, that nobody can, that can explain. Uh, my ex-wife and I were dusk, just a little bit brighter than this right now. Just a little bit. And we were walking through the battle, uh, through the cemetery at, at the Gettysburg battlefield. And uh, Max White just froze and she went ghastly white and scared. She says, can you see them? I said, see who? And she said she saw dozens of young, bewildered-looking Union soldiers standing around leaning on their rifle in the cemetery when they were buried. And she said, they don't know they're dead. It happened too fast. And I'm looking at her in absolute blank amazement. I'm going, I can't see anything. 
I don't have, I am very much a realist. I don't have much of an imagination. I very much am living in the real world. But I have talked to other people who have the exact same experience in the exact same spot. And who am I to say it didn't happen? I can't. You know? And I have seen people, I don't know what they photoshopped it or what, but I have seen people record videos of ghosts wandering on the battlefield in Gettysburg. I live 40 miles from Gettysburg. And I used to go up there on a regular basis, and I have heard all kinds of stories of people who have seen uh, apparitions. Oh, and then there were the apparitions that took a cannon and fired it through the McDonald's that were at. It was oh, a yeah, well, they were in apparitions. That's a, that's a funny story. There was a McDonald's. That there was a piece of land which was privately owned in the Gettysburg National Monument. The, and the federal government was trying to get the guy that owned the franchise to sell it to the government. Try to get him out of there. Try to get him out of there. They offered him more and more money and they say, no, but the guy was making a bloody fortune for us, right? And one night a bunch of Civil War reenactors went up there in the middle of the night and they pried loose a 12-pound uh, Napoleon cannon and they loaded it with powder and 12-pound round shot and they fired it right through the McDonald's. <laughs> the next day they sold out to the government. So it happens most revolutions are pretty fucking violent. Uh, well, we waited till 3 o'clock in the morning on a, on a Sunday morning when they were sure nobody would be in there, no cleaning crew or anything. But it's amazing what a 12-pound cannonball will do to a McDonald's. <laughs> it went through the front, hit the counter, smashed through the register, bounced through the thing where they passed the food through from the kitchen, hit the grill, bounced off the grill and went out the back wall and the, and the whole back wall and the roof of the kitchen came down. Fantastic. They, the thing, they, saw, they sold out the next day and they took the government's over. And it was this thing that looked like it was a cotton tower of a World War I battleship. It was an observation tower some guy had built on the battlefield of Gettysburg. And then the federal government bought that too. And they bought it in the Army Corps of Engineers and blew it up. <laughs> Why'd they blow up the tower? Because it didn't belong there. Uh, not a, like not authentic to the scene. No, it was just a tourist trap. They don't want it to be a tourist trap. They want it to be a cemetery. There's, there's 30,000 people buried there. 43,000 people died in 48 hours. It's a thousand person people an hour. Oh my God. It was a three day battle. It was the worst battle of the Civil War. Both sides lost so many people that the, that the South could not replace the people they lost and the North had to accept the enlistments of blacks after that. Or replace the people who died. What's your story about the the brothers in uniform in uh, like downtown New York guarding like a library? Oh, or no, something? no, no, no. Grant's tomb. Yeah, they're guarding Grant's tomb. They, uh... There's a, a famous, the first black regiment of the Civil War was the 54th Massachusetts. 54th Massachusetts. And they were, they were raised by Stephen Douglas, the, uh, 
for the abolitionist. And his own son was in the regiment, was killed. And uh, there's a reenacting group that reenacts that regiment, mostly a bunch of black, young black guys from Harlem. And Grant was a Union commander and later president of the United States and buried on the west side of Manhattan, not far from Harlem. Bunker taggers were, gangbanger taggers were destroying his tomb with all, all these, this graffiti, right? So they decided that uh, they weren't going to let that happen. So they went out there in their Civil War uniforms with unloaded muskets with fixed bands and guarded Grant's tomb. And the first day it happened, like, first they cleaned it all up. They went out there with paint strip and got all the graffiti off the monument to look really nice. They're out there standing there with their rifles and fixed bayonets guarding the tomb. And it looked really, you know, really nice. And I'm going, isn't that cool? Bunch of young black guys that got out of slavery because of the Civil War, their ancestors, and they're out honoring their ancestors support in the Civil War and the general that led them and guarding his tomb. Grant, you know, Grant could look down and see this, he can really pull this. It's beautiful. And then the next night the shit started. A bunch of goddamn gangbangers decided they were going to come and vandalize him. And those kids started chasing him off, poking him in the ass with their bayonets. <laughs> It was a whole bunch of young gangbaggers showing up at, at Columbia Medical Center getting sutures in their butts. <laughs> Gee, how big a pain in the ass can we be? My pocket, I got some... I got a, a kazoo. <laughs> and uh, some serpentine. Well, you had the serpentine last time we were here. I found this in the, uh, I did laundry, and this was the remains that were, came out of the laundry, so I was like, oh, this is, what's up? And then I had this, uh, Alea, Alea. Yeah. Whoever she is. She, uh, they call her, like, the princess of R&B. She was born in, like... She's dead. 1979. Yeah, and then she died, like... I remember from the MTV announcing her death. 20 years, I think. But, uh... It happened during during time of my recuperation after my head injury. I remember that much from a recent dive I did online looking her up. Do but you... This is, do, do you think it's... My, my question... This came from a shirt... It's a shirt with her photo on it, and it's just like RMP, like a princess of RMB, and it's it's cool looking shirt and all that. But is it okay for me to wear this shirt, or is it disrespectful to wear something that takes her image and has made it corporatized? Well, like now, it's from fucking Target, so it's like they've made thousands of these shirts, and it's across the board. I'm rather sure that if Target is doing it, that they've. Do you think her family's getting a cut? I think her family's getting a cut. Or if they demanded it, probably. But. Yeah. I don't generally. They, they wear, saw a Target saw a cash cow. I don't generally wear anything that has any kind of advertising or anything on it. Well, I think like the advertising is restricted like to the to the label. That's but, one of the nice things I like about socialist states. Advertising is prohibited. Yeah, I would take that too. I um, I really like. 
when I was in Eastern Europe, not seeing a billboard, not seeing an ad, not seeing a commercial on television, no ads on the buses, no anything. Public service announcements, yes. And you go in the grocery store, they just got a big board with what they got for sale and what the prices are. <laughs> they don't have a lot of selection like in the West. But they have what it tells you what they have and what the prices are, and then they got a guy that goes up on a ladder and changes the prices on things or change adds something to the selection. Do you think it's okay looking into the abyss and looking back type of way? Do you think it's okay kind of spiritually? I think it's probably not going to be a problem. I don't think she'd hold it against you, and I think her family's probably making some kind of profit from. You know, any anything that bears her likeness. And so it's kind of funny though. Worry. People can sell the rights to this and the rights to that, and quite often the families don't always necessarily have it. It's a whole weird legal thing. Last couple of days I've been coming across well twice now. One in uh, down in Cannery Row, there was a RAP sticker, and it was really nice looking, like on a a lamp post out there by the ocean with some angel wings coming out of a heart and it uh -huh. had the date of the death and then today on uh, in the walk in the forest in the like old abandoned cars somebody put a, a similar sticker of a young gal's is a photo of her and then her death and so that came on that's three now because i got this shirt yesterday i was just kind of like tuning into I don't know what these are. They're like mementos or markers of somebody that has passed at a young age. And then what what does it mean then to take a photo of that or to wear a shirt of it? Or if you're just, it's just, don't forget. I'm looking for guidance she here. She died fairly tragically. And I think it's important to always remember what she stood for and the tremendous hope that was part of her life. What she stood for. In Judaism, yeah, you gotta remember those principles or figure them out. In Judaism, there's a thing when you speak of somebody's deceased, you always put the phrase, be it in Hebrew or English, afterwards, of blessed memory. Of blessed memory? Yeah. I don't know if that helps at all. That's how you know somebody's deceased when you write their name down, you put of blessed memory. Of blessed memory. And then uh, you have a a Yitzka, which is a, on the anniversary of their death, you light a candle and let it burn all night long. It's a Yitzka candle. Ooh. And then they have Yitzka books, which are the book of each little town in Eastern Europe, which is a Jewish town that had, it lists all the people who perished in the Holocaust that they knew of. That's a tragic their, book. Their, their, their date, birth, date of death, their occupation, how who their parents were, the children were and then with everybody and they tried to do they tried to do one for every little town that had a Jewish population in Europe. Oh blessed I've seen memory. The one, I've seen the one for Kalashin, I've seen the one one for Kharkov, because those are the uh, those are the towns that my uh, my my ex ex wife family. Was Kharkov the same as would we call it Krakow? No, it was thinking of Krakow in Poland. Kharkov is in Ukraine. Okay. Her, mo her mother's family came from Kharkov, and there's quite a story nobody knows. So Linda would call this Jewish geography. But sometime at the age of 14, her grandmother, her grandmother walked For from Kharkov reason. in Ukraine 
Chuliga, Latvia. And that's a thousand, over a thousand miles. Jeez. So, and it took her two years to get there. She was 16 when she got there. And then so these badass Jewish teenage girls, this girl swimming through the sewer, traffic and ammunition and guns and babies. This lady walking for two years. You gotta understand, the Jews in Europe in the ghetto were married off by a yente at 12 or 13 after that bat mitzvah. You became a housewife at 12 or 13 and became continuously pregnant until you died in Java. Wow, fuck that. You Thank didn't you. have a choice. There was no birth control. There was no abortion. Well, or you just start walking? No, you were walking because the alternative was to get murdered by Cossacks. Problems. The Cossacks would come through and rape all the girls and hack all the men to death and then maybe rape the girls and hack them to death. So why was it, why was she walking? World War One. The Cossacks had got cut loose. You had the, you had the, you had the, the war between Russia and Germany, followed by the Russian Revolution, followed by the, the Civil War between the Whites and the Reds. You had continuous warfare from 1914 <laughs> to 1923. My I'm like looking for principles in this, and my principles don't don't matter. Like they're not grounded in any kind of. They're not grounded in any kind of gravitas that people just 50 years ago or 100 years ago had to go through, in which case your principles had to be moved into it. My principles are so lightweight and tacky and cheap. Like it's a, it's a lot easier. So they're trying to like get this grid to move through it in the most, well, I guess it's a principle, but I want to say noble. It's easier for me to relate to those people than it is to relate to being here in this country. Because all, most of my life, in the places I have been, it's been kill or be killed, eat or be eaten. That's the foundation. Kill or be killed, eat or be eaten. As you, 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 you have to fight just to survive. You have to struggle just to not starve. <laughs> and I just want to share my kazoo and my serpentine yeah. and ask whether it's of sound principle to wear a shirt from Target with a picture and of a my, pretty lady who's died. My lovely friend would go... That's that, that, so frivolously bourgeois. Frivolously bourgeois. Well, they, you know, they are right now, right here and now in the harsh reality. You know, if your eggs are burnt, don't send them back to the kitchen in the restaurant because you're making the small working class waitress work harder. Accept them just the way they are, even if they're burnt, and give her a bigger tip. And be grateful. And be grateful. Okay, that's a principle I can have and be grateful. I don't fit in the modern world. I do not grateful. fit in the modern world. That's, that's the one. Kelly, you know, Lindy used to say that about me. She said, she don't fit in the modern world. She says, yeah, Linux. Yeah, I don't, uh, you know, I don't. My father was so incensed. I bought a, I bought a $10,000 house in the ghetto that was falling down from uh, an auction from the old people that had it died. And the neighborhood was turning ghetto. It was down by the docks in Baltimore. $10,000 house, and my, I told my father, because I wanted to get out from under the landlord, and my, I told my father, my father punched me in the mouth and knocked me down. I was 40 years old and goes, no one in our family ever owned property. You dishonored me. You betrayed your family. You're no longer a member of the pro proletariat. Oh, fucking Jesus, dude. 
Wow. Principle. See, I'm not the only one that says that. Well, any any European leftist would have done the exact same thing to his kid. But uh, my mother had to try to calm him down, and finally I got him to come around somewhat by convincing him that which was better for me to buy a buy a house or to support for the slumlord. You go, well, you support the slumlord until you can kill the slumlord. <laughs> but see, how much do you really own? I mean, you can't, it's, you really own whatever you can take across that abyss. You don't really own that house once you start traveling. Well, I couldn't, ha I couldn't hang on to it anyway because the neighborhood got so bad during the crack epidemic that, uh, you know, I, uh, I had three home invasions and I had, uh, I had to shoot three people. And it was, the neighborhood got so bad, I, I was one of the last three white people on that street. And I sold out, I sold to sold the house to an elderly black couple who gave me 11,000 cash. And the other two elderly white couples waited too long and they got $500 in the house for a slumlord. I guess it worked out. You got punched in the face, got to shoot three people and made a thousand bucks? Oh, they gave him six or $700 every time he, uh, yeah, oh yeah, they have the victim assistance fund. Every time you have a serious crime committed against you and something like that, they yeah. they they pay you they pay you five hundred for the trauma of having a home invasion and two hundred and fifty for having you for the trauma of having to defend yourself. Baltimore City has a policy that if you are poor or elderly and cannot afford a gun. The police a gun will be provided for you at no cost. One out of the out of the evidence locker. <laughs> like I said. And if you walk down the street and you're not carrying a gun and you wipe the cops will go, what are you crazy? Do you have a death wish? Just the opposite of here. You mention gun control or anti-smoking laws in Baltimore, you're gonna have everybody putting a gun in your hand. Hearing all these stories from a couple hundred years back until 20 years ago. It makes me so happy that the only principle I've lived by so far in life is to orbit around beauty. It's just to be around and to interact with beautiful there things. There is no beauty back there. It's a dirty, filthy factory town and people throw their garbage out the window. Nobody and gives laugh when it hits you. What? And laugh when it hits you. Yeah, they actually try to hit people with their garbage. Throw your garbage out the window and laugh when it hits you. I'd be tempted to introduce those folks to Mr. Molotov, frankly. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's like I was I was sitting in my house one night and we heard this uh, heard this I was just going to bed. I'd stay no, I'd gotten up to use the restroom and I hear this crash. And I look out the window and somebody throwing a console TV through a closed window from the third floor onto the top of my neighbor's Toyota crushing the car. And it was a bunch of West Virginia Hillbillies who rented the house across the street. And they were drunk as usual all weekend, fighting with each other, crash, bang, windows breaking, doors crashing, all night long. They drink like that all night long. I want John Sternbeck. And I want uh, minds like Madame Curie. My, my, my. I want revolutionary letters wait, wait, spread wait, wait, across wait, 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 wait. flatbed now, trucks. Had, my one, my one roommate was 
a PTSD suffering Vietnam vet who was <laughs> I want from, the complete prophecies of Notre Dame. Who was from who was from Placerville, California. Oh, here we go. And uh, but he was a Central Valley redneck. And uh, my other roommate was a was a Sicilian kid who was in the Coast Guard. And I moved to Baltimore and all no, I got was true grit. No, he grew up there. He grew up in Middle Italy. And. Uh, the other guy from, from Placerville just got stuck in Baltimore because that's where his car died. And uh, at any rate, the two of them came downstairs and go, what the hell's going on over there? I said, I don't know, but we better quiet him down. Steve goes back upstairs, gets the pistol belt with his 45 that he carried in Vietnam, puts it on over nothing but his boxy shorts. That's a fucking tight look. And yeah. Dominic puts on a pair of Coast Guard coveralls puts his federal government badge, because Coast Guard kids law enforcement authority, on his pocket, straps on his 9mm Beretta, and I get a, a 30-06 Enfield with a 16-inch bayonet, and I go over there and pound on their door with a rifle butt. Because you don't like that they're partying? No, they're throwing things out the windows, destroying people's cars, and smashing up the house. Right? And Steve goes, you woke us all up. You make one more peep out of you bastards, we're going to come over here, kill everything, get moves. Do you understand it? Now shut up and go to bed. And meanwhile, we'd already call the cops, right? And we went back across the street, the cops show up, and they won't open the goddamn door. So the cops leave to go try to get a warrant. Well, we got a petition going, and we even got the bartender in the bar around the corner and signed a petition. Yeah, he had the bar around the corner was a real special place. Too. Yeah, it was. A, it was. They would have a fight there every Friday and Saturday night and get raided by the cops. The steel workers versus the longshoremen. Steel and, workers versus longshoremen every Friday, Saturday night. Yeah. And uh, smashing beer bottles over each other's heads. And. Uh, at any rate, they'd all go drink together. They'd all go to the same bar, knowing this would happen. Yeah, that was the purpose. Drunk and fight. That's what people do with Baltimore. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so you're wondering where the Warriors went. They went to Baltimore. And which means Philadelphia and Richmond. Baltimore Virginia. means place of God. Yeah. Anyway, to continue, we got a petition going. Everybody signed it. We sent it to the landlord. So Saturday morning, I'm sitting on my front steps, the landlord shows up and his Cadillac gets out. Small old Jewish man from out in Pikesville. And he walks up, goes in the house. They're at work and he lets himself in the house. Well, they're not there. I don't know where they are, Saturday morning. He lets himself in the house. He comes out, the man is in fucking tears. And he goes, do you know anything about this? He went from a Cadillac to tears within the stepping into the doorway. And he After got, seeing what they'd done to the They just slowed my house. He says, the refrigerator's on the floor in the kitchen. Upside down. All the windows are broken. The doors are off the hinges. There's holes in the walls. Mm -hmm. There's blood all over the place. What's going on here? And I, I, so I told him what we observed and have to go over there with drawing guns and all this. He goes, I'm going to get an emergency car to get him, get him locked out. And he did. Within two hours, the sheriff was over there boarding the place up. 
and it got an emergency eviction for, for, for vandalism. And uh, he's going, I don't know, I don't have enough insurance to fix it. And I said, I'll tell you what, I'm a carpenter, I'm laid off right now. I said, I can, I can do most of the repair work for you. He says, call me a price. And I just ran a number off the top of my head and said, you 10,000 plus material. He says, you're on. I worked all winter. God works in mysterious ways. You yeah. can't see the scope of it. You can't, like, see both ends. You don't know the equation. And uh, meanwhile, he tried to sue the one guy that signed, that signed the rental agreement, right? Found out he signed it in a fictitious name. And That's, that is um, an attempt to commit fraud. And, uh, by the way. They, they never tracked any of it down. He was trying to sue them. He couldn't find any of them. They walked back to West Virginia, back up into the hills. We got your scarf on. You told me you're getting ready to go. I was getting cold. Getting cold? Well, I'm going to bed. Getting cold. Boop. I'll put the chair back. It's been fun. It was fun talk. Oh. Is this a return? No, he. we just checked that out. Oh. Cool. Yeah, we brought the other one back this morning, didn't we? What, what are you reading? Uh, this whole series on uh, Patrick O'Brien, post captain. It's a it's a series on a, a a British naval character in the Napoleonic Wars. Oh, this is the guy who put on the bear suit. Yeah. Oh, cool. Linseed oil conducts electricity. That's what they taught us when I worked for the state of California. Quartz is piezoelectric. Generates voltage on its surface when compressed or bent. I was like a prophet. A caravan of con artists and thieves. Gypsies, tramps, and thieves. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Maybe. You're from the people of the town. And you know, it's breakfast, but nobody knows it's coming out the speakers. I'll get it. Gypsies, tramps, and thieves. Pure heart, pure spirit, lust and greed, the seven deadly sins. Teutonic Knights? Teutonic. Teutonic. Teutonic Knights. The Teutonic Knights in the 1918 50 year plan to liberate private property. Uh, to liberate the people from the oppression of private property. I don't take it quite as seriously as he does. Teutonic Knights and uh, the uh, the three communist Marxist groups that were working together. I love these like global scale organization groups. No, the three internationals. They were the internationals when I were happened at different times. I can't remember the they, exact. They were dates. conferences. They were conferences, conferences of all the communist parties in the world. 
and people had to were usually wanted to be you know shot on sight and they had to sneak out of their country to tr and travel clandestinely to get to wherever these gatherings were. That's exciting. And uh, I believe the first one was in Germany in 1919. See, what people don't know, we just celebrated the Armistice Day. What ended World War One is the German people rose up in the Communist Revolution against the Kaiser. Same as what happened in Russia. But then the Nazis rose up and you had a civil war between the Communists and the Nazis. As you had a civil war in Russia between the Reds and the Whites. That was all going on through the 1920s. Fucking people. And... Uh, Linda, my second wife, well, another one of her cousins was Rosa Luxemburg, who was a Polish Jew, who was the leader of the Spartacists, who were the communist guerrillas fighting the Nazis in the 1920s. Communist guerrillas fighting the Nazis in the 1920s. In German. What did they call their group? The Spartacists. The Spartacists. See, they don't teach any of that here. In Europe, everybody knows that. It also don't teach us much about to beat the yellow fat. No. With rods. I never heard that until you mentioned it. Oh. Thank you. I was going to look that up for you. But see, it's a given in Europe. Having gone to school in Europe, we spent a decade almost there. It's a given in Europe that if you're poor and working class, you're a communist. If you're middle class, you kind of like what Bernie Sanders is at. Right, that's kind of centrist. And if you're wealthy, you're a fascist. Your class determines your politics and your beliefs. That sucks. No, it's always been like that. I wish there was something that reached through at all, like a through line that could kind of connect people through a point of. Uh, if you even propose something like that, you, they'd all turn against you. Uh, that's probably why they're straining Jesus up. They nailed him up. I mean, that's, his, well, that's what he's saying. Bear in mind that only 20% of the population of Europe attends any kind of a religion now. And they're all over 70. Europe has gone pretty much. As people get a higher level of education, you become more and more atheistic. I'm looking at me in amazement. No. You go, no. Into, go into church in Europe, you're going to see a handful of people in there on a Sunday morning, and they're all like 80, 90 years old. I'm just picturing the next Messiah coming back through computer graphics. Fifth, sixth, seventh dimensional shapes. <laughs> Algorithms running into your complete preferences. The Church of the Holy Fractal. Yeah. Yeah. As I explore the darkness of my mind, like just the void, like being like a sperm whale going for a dive to hunt squid, you're just going deeper into the darkness head first. I'm trying to see shapes that don't exist in terrestrial everyday. It's hard. It's hard to picture fifth, six-dimensional shapes huge, within your mind. I keep telling Kelly this. There is such a huge difference between the East Coast and California. There really is. Yeah, there is. There's you, such the a East Coast is Europe, extended. <laughs> you have the same class differences, the same ethnic differences. Yeah. You know, it's like... 
the Italians live in Little Italy, the Chinese live in Chinatown, the Jews live in their ghetto, the blacks live in their ghetto. You wander into the wrong neighborhood, you leave with a body bag, you know, and you still got the mob running everything behind the scenes. And then you got the whole the class struggle issues. All of that. How do they tell each other apart? Because of where you are. Where I lived in Baltimore is Fayette Street. Yeah. North of Fayette Street is all black. South of Fayette Street is really white when I bought the house. I crossed that yellow line on Fayette Street. I'm a target. A black person from the other side crosses that yellow line into my neighborhood, they're a target. Some old Polish guy, 70 years old, is going to put a rifle up in there. California is beautiful that way then. You go to the beach, there's every kind of person there. That's one of the things they did right out here. What they did totally wrong is nobody could afford to live here. It's so goddamn expensive, it's ridiculous. I compare prices to people back east. Price of food is double. Price of rent is quadruple. Price of keeping a car on the road is ten times what it is back there. Because unless you live right in the inner city, you don't smog your car. You know, how many laws like that? Mm. Uh, nobody recycles, you just throw everything in a gar in a galvanized steel garbage can, the welfare recipients come down, they have to work for their welfare, walking behind the garbage truck, picking up the garbage cans, dumping them in the truck. And for that they get a hundred dollars a week. Well, you ready? Mm. Yeah, I suppose. But you know, most people back there live with their own ethnic group, kind of like the Mexicans do here. And they, uh, they have never been more than five miles from where their ancestors got off the boat. No fucking way. In New York, nobody drives. There's no place to put a car in. The people in my neighborhood were mostly Polish. God, they, you got like, the beatniks must have been so radical. Like, you didn't Jack, have them in Baltimore. But like, Jack Kerouac, yeah, Allen Ginsberg. Like, just seeing these guys just getting on trains and hopping in Cadillacs and going across the country and bringing it back in the form you of didn't like, have stories that. You and You didn't emotion. have that back there. You didn't have that back there. The people were uneducated immigrants, Italian immigrants that went to mass every day, or Polish immigrants that went to mass every day, Jews that, that made a minion in the synagogue every morning. And the next generation got pretty much wiped out by World War II in the draft. Education is totally where it's at. But that's the whole thing. That's the most In the important. United States, education is tied to property value. Property tax pays for the schools. In a neighborhood where the income is $15,000 a year and a house sells for $10,000 and is appraised at 1000 the schools suck. Maybe God actually is coming back through computers. Maybe the internet really is I this thing to, to be able bring all, this education. I I now, if you want to know anything, great, you can have it. I used to have all this great... Any college course you can have. You know, I, I have this great hope for the digital age. It's all dead now. 
Yeah. It's, they just commercialized it all for hell. They turned it into... What was your hope of the digital age? That it was going to be a source of information where everybody could learn everything. It still is, though. You just have to navigate some bullshit to get there. It's turned into social media and... I mean, that's just what people want, but if you... You, want you don't give people what they want. Somebody with the right ideology and the leadership has got to tell them what they want. Oh, yeah. People don't have choices. <laughs> you just revealed your dark hand, dude. No. You said that it was all about I believe the that freedom. if you don't want to get a COVID shot, you should be thrown in the fucking jail with people that have COVID. Oh, man. Oh, man. If you want to own too much property, we, sh- we shoot you and take your property and give it to people that ain't got nothing. Wow. Wow. The planet is overpopulated. The people that consume most of the resources, to get rid of them. And then you're, I like, an, you're like an angry mob. You're like a whole angry mob within, My job, within I was, one man. I was trained to stir a mob into a riot in 10 minutes. Oh, you're like Jim Morrison. You're a punk rock no, singer. No, I'm a soldier. <laughs> I have the rank of Tomate Segundo. We're still rolling. Oh, fuck. Don't do that. No, I, but that was my job. I mean, you know, I mean, that was my job. That's very close to a rock and roller, though, right? I mean, that's no. James Brown to turn a mob to turn a mob into a riot within James. No, minutes. a very controlled riot for a very controlled purpose. I mean, that's fucking liberation, right? No, it's a tool. It is a tool. Do you not feel like Mick Jagger? No, I hate Mick Jagger. I was at Altamont. Oh, you were at Altamont? Yes. I had to fight my way out of there. Holy. That was the last time I ever saw the Stones. I'll never see them again. Ah. That was my total, like, the day the music died. That was my total uh, disillusionment with sex, drugs, and rock and roll. That was it then, right? That was it for me. That's when, like, the, the kind of corporate version of brown rice hippy-dippy really official was over. After right? that, I, after that, it was off to Europe and uh, started studying Marx and Lenin and Trotsky and serious, real shit, changing the world. The hell with anything that's going on over The only reason I came back over here was my father got deathly sick and almost died. Did he punch you one more time before he Oh, this is years before that. Oh. <laughs> my father, was, my father never changed. It was like, when he was dying of cancer in the goddamn bed in the hospital, he would tell me exactly where I was taking my mother to dinner that night, exactly what I should order, and yada, 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 yada. And you better do exactly as I tell you or else. Wow. Your father sounds like a principled man. <laughs> no, he was a gangster. Uh, unwavering, the gangster. Yeah, the unwavering. <laughs> he, was a, he was a gangster. You do it my way or I'll pull your head off. I mean, that's principle, though. That's what I'm Ooh. saying. Like, a, a firm thing that you live by. Like, if you your principle is you don't lie, then you just don't. Even if it's within yourself to make the situation easier. That's what I want to achieve. I want to have the principles that would allow me to be a noble person. And you just don't ever, it's not an option to lie. True. 
Wow. Help me out. I don't be, what, what's another principle I should live by? There's something I should practice. How do I be less? Yeah, I how do still... I be less of a limp dick and more of like a firm-fisted <laughs> man? And how do I also continue to be noble yeah, and around that, he beauty? He thinks if he'll excuse my language that I'm a complete pussy because I handle things with as much diplomacy as possible. I, I believe in the walk softly and carry a big stick. Right. Where I was raised with, you haven't tried force, you haven't tried anything. Well, I'll try everything before I try force. <laughs> Give me one to practice this week. Give me something to practice. Maybe I'll practice force. I've never tried force. Have you ever built a house? Have you ever used a hammer? Yeah. You've used force. Yeah. Fuck yeah. That's why. That's why I worked. That's why I worked Fuck as yeah. a framer for most of my life. It fit perfectly. We're off. We'll see you later. Let's chat. Okay. Revolutionary letter number 68, life chant. Quote from the Tibetan Book of the Dead. May it come that all radiances will be known as our own radiance. Cacanopy of small birds at dawn, may it continue. Sticky monkey flowers on bare brown hills, may it continue. Bitter taste of early miner's lettuce, may it continue. Music on city streets in summer nights, may it continue. Kids laughing on roofs, on stoops, on the bench, in the snow, may it continue. Triumphal shout of the newborn, may it continue. Deep silence of great rainforest, may it continue. Fine austerity of jungle peoples, May it continue. Rolling fuck of great whales in turquoise ocean. May it continue. Clumsy splash of pelican in smooth bays. May it continue. Astonished human eyeball squinting through eons at astonished nebula who squint back. May it continue. Clean snow on the mountain. May it continue. Fierce clear eyes. Clear light of the aged. May it continue. Right of birth and of naming. May it continue. Rite of instruction. May it continue. Rite of passage. May it continue. Love in the morning. Love in the noon sun. Love in the evening among crickets. May it continue. Long tales by fire, by window, and fog and dusk on the mesa. May it continue. Love in thick midnight. Fierce joy of old ones loving. May it continue. The night music. May it continue. Grunt of maiden hippo foreplay of snow leopards, screeching of cats on the backyard fence, may it continue, without police, may it continue, without prisons, may it continue, without hospitals, death medicine, flu, and flu vaccine, may it continue, without madhouses, marriage, high schools that are prisons, may it continue, without empire, may it continue, in sisterhood, may it continue, through the wars to come, May it continue in brotherhood. May it continue through the earth, though the earth may seem lost. May it continue through exile and silence. May it continue with cunning and love. May it continue as woman continues. May it continue as breath continues. May it continue as stars continue. May it continue. 
May the wind deal kindly with us. May the fire remember our names. May springs flow, rain fall again. May the land grow green. May it shallow, may it swallow our mistakes. We begin the work, may it continue. The great transmutation, may it continue. continue. A new heaven and a new earth, may it continue. continue. May it continue. May it continue. continue.